0: Hi, This is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about next-generation firewalls today. I'm talking with Chris King, Director of Product Marketing for Palo Alto Networks. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Tom. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, please?
1: So I I run product marketing here at Palo Alto Networks. Uh, I've been here for about three years um, my prior lives include stints at some other information security vendors, and uh, a pretty long tenure as an analyst in the space with a company called Metagroup from from years back. and and going way back, I actually used to manage networks for a living. So um, I've kind of made a tour of the industry, and uh, hopefully that will be reflected in some of the comments uh, that we we discuss today.
0: Well, Chris, you just released a new paper about the next generation of firewalls and what they must do. Give us some context here. What's wrong with the current generation of firewalls?
1: Well, the current generation of firewalls were, de- were designed in a different era. The traditional firewall has policy based on IP addresses and ports. And you wind the clock back a couple of decades and, well maybe not a couple of decades, but at least a decade, you wind the clock back and it used to be that applications had pre-assigned ports. Port 25, that was SMTP, which was email. Port 80, that was HTTP, that was web browsing. And right around the turn of the century, folks figured out that the easy way to make their applications more accessible to end users, whether they're sitting in the enterprise or at home, was to ignore port and always shoot for an open port or to be port agile or port hop. Um, But basically it was a safe assumption that port 80 was always open. It was a safe assumption that port 443 was always open and it was a safe assumption that there would be other ports that were open. And gradually application developers figured out starting Mm -hmm. with folks uh, you know, developing instant messaging applications and peer-to-peer applications, but then more and more other types of apps, um, they figured out, hey, there's a simple technique here to get through the firewall. And normally you'd say, well, big deal. Um, some of these applications are good, some of them have very serious business benefit, um, but they also have risk. You know, not to mention the fact that that the majority of threats being developed today target applications as either the the thing they're exploiting or as a transmission vector. And, you know, so what happened over time was the security industry said, well, we can add helpers to the firewall. And we can add things like IPSs and proxies and URL filters and all these things. But at the end of the day, the firewall is still the thing that makes the decision to allow traffic onto the network. Everything else looks at subsets of traffic, is only looking for certain things, what have you. The access decision is still made by the firewall, and unfortunately, the traditional firewall is incapable of making a meaningful decision because, again, it's looking at things like ports, which, as I mentioned before, are irrelevant, and IP addresses in a world where DHCP and Wi-Fi and those kinds of things make those largely barely fluid as well.
0: He used a key word a few minutes ago, which was risk. Where and how do you see organizations most at risk now because of the firewalls they're depending upon?
1: So this is actually, I think, one of the most important discussions in information security today because if you look at a lot of the buzz out there, there's a lot of noise about application control. And the problem is is that the information security industry is sort of predefined to think about risk as a threat. And and as you and I know, risk is not a threat. And if you talk to a business person, risk is actually a good thing. Risk is where you make money. And so the the, the challenge here, when you start to look at some of these applications, whether we're talking about uh, cloud-based collaboration apps, whether we're talking about social networks, um, there's a tremendous amount of potential business benefit in these initiatives. You know, you look at some of the major auto manufacturers, you look at some of the major uh, uh, PC manufacturers. You look at some of the major pharmaceuticals, um, healthcare, financial services. They're all targeting social networks or online applications of various types, in order to be more productive, more cost effective, reach more customers. So the problem is, is a lot of information security folks they have this kind of this, this model that says new risky stuff bad must block and that the, the risk for organizations is twofold one absolutely correct a lot of these applications are risky and two um, you know the, the 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 problem with the mindset that i think a lot of us are conditioned to and and, and by the way we're conditioned to it because those are the controls we have um, block or not um, is that we either alienate ourselves from our organizations or we potentially block business benefit and yes there are lots of business risks including data loss or operations cost there's risk to compliance business continuity even productivity which I'd argue might be a little bit of a red herring but those things are um, are, are the types of risks that the business might see that we need to balance those benefits that I mentioned before productivity and, and uh, um, at lower operational costs and, and, um, and enhance, uh, faster time to market and those kinds of things. But suffice it to say, the point I made before, threats are using applications, so there is real risk. The problem we've got is there's also benefit to a lot of these things.
0: Chris, help paint us a picture of what the next generation firewall is going to look like.
1: So basically, the next generation firewall does five things. It identifies the application, regardless of what port it's on, what kind of encryption it's using, uh, how evasive it's trying to be. It identifies the application. The second thing is it identifies the user. So I can use policy in a group fashion. So I can say that, that, uh, you know, marketing is allowed to use Facebook, or, uh, uh corporate communications is allowed to use Twitter, or the product Research folks are allowed to collaborate using Box.net with some of our partners. Um, third, it scans content. So for the allowed applications, I can scan it to mitigate some of those risks that I talked about. So for example, with SharePoint, a very common application, one of the problems is, uh, that, that sometimes people upload stuff unknowingly that is carrying a threat. And so you want to be able to scan that, that allowed traffic for threats. Fourth, you want to be able to wrap this all up in policy. So it's not a matter of having to go to the firewall to turn on one thing and then go to an IPS and do something else and go to a URL filter and do something else. And you've got sort of this policy that's scattered all over other, every place that's got you know, different paradigms and language and so on and so forth. You want to be able to tie that, that application, that user, that content all up in one policy. And then you know, fifth, by the way, the firewall is still a critical piece of infrastructure. So you have to do this without getting in the way of business. Translation: You got to do this at high throughput rates with low latency. So the 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 with those things as the sort of the five things that you got to do, the most one of the most important things is number one and number two, the app and the user. That's in the firewall, um, and and that's one of the challenging bits about this. And and I'm guessing we'll have an opportunity to talk about a little bit more about that later. But, but basically, you know, doing this in the firewall is absolutely critical from a performance standpoint and from a functional standpoint in what you see and what you get to control and everything else.
0: Chris, let's dive down a little bit deeper here. One of the big themes of the paper you put together were was the 10 things that firewalls need to do. What are some of the most important of the ten things that we really need these next firewalls to do for us?
1: So that's that's a it's a great question because I think there's a lot of buzz out there about application control. And again, it goes back to that sort of that preconditioned idea that I think a lot of people in the in the security space have, which is you treat an application like a threat. And so a lot of the efforts to application control have been well let's put a bunch of application signatures in an IPS um, and and the problem that you have with that um, is really highlighted by some of the things some of those 10 things that we we talk about in the paper the first thing you got to focus on i mean if I, if i'm going to look at the top 3 um, uh things of the of the 10 things um, the first thing you got to be able to do is app- identify the app regardless of what ports it's using so people are familiar with forcing certain applications to uh, HTTPS or SSL, whether that be on port 443 or not. Um, people are familiar with things that are port agile and then hop ports. Uh, people are familiar with forcing IM to port 80 or something like that. It doesn't really matter what port anymore it's on. The firewall has to be able to identify the application regardless of port um, and I think when you write a policy, if you want that to be effective, which most people do, you got to be able to identify the app, regardless of what port it's moving on. Um, another one, and this this is related, is is kind of being able to do to identify the application and enforce the policy that you need to enforce, whether that be you know controlling certain elements of that application, whether that be scanning that application for threats you've got to be able to look at things inside of SSL. And this is a major challenge that requires lots and lots of of horsepower and policy flexibility um, when you look at the sensitivity of opening up SSL and scanning the content inside that for threats and so on and so forth. So, you know, you, A, you got to be able to do it. B, you got to be able to do it with performance without introducing latency. And C, you've got to be flexible enough to to say certain pieces are off limits. We don't want to decrypt it, we don't want to know what's inside of, for example, personal healthcare, personal financial applications. Um, and and I kind of alluded to this before, uh, you want to be able to scan for threats in, in the allowed traffic. And if I can add one more, um, one of the most important elements in my opinion of the 10 things is, what happens to the unknown traffic? And is that unknown traffic simply passed through or is that unknown traffic handled by policy? And given that the unknown is typically where the highest risk traffic is, or, or more specifically, where the threats like to hide, um, having a policy-centric treatment of this as opposed to, yeah, well, it just gets through if we don't know what it is, um, is, is a big deal when you're talking about security.
0: Chris, the big question is how do we get from here, where we are today, to there, which you've just described?
1: So it's it's that's a that's a great question, and I think there's there's probably two ways to answer that. One is from the industry or vendor perspective, and the second one is from the user perspective, uh, or the more specifically the customer perspective. Um, and I think that when you look at it from the vendor perspective, it's a challenge. You know, we had a benefit in the sense that we didn't have. Uh, a, a traditional firewall that we had to remake. You know, we were founded in, in 2005, we, we shipped our first product mid-year 2007 after all the dynamics that I just described had already occurred. So we looked at it and said, hey, we have a unique way to solve this problem. If we identify the application in the firewall, then we have some unique benefits that we can bring to the enterprise. A lot of the traditional firewall vendors looking at this and saying, wow, that's a different classification engine. And so when you look at a firewall, the thing that classifies traffic, the engine that classifies traffic, whether in a traditional firewall we're talking about ports and IP addresses, or in a next-generation firewall like ours, we're talking about users and applications. Um, the classification engine is the brain of the firewall. And if you look at this from a vendor perspective, you know it's kind of like doing a brain transplant it's really, really hard. It's far easier to start from the beginning and build a new firewall with a new classification engine that's designed specifically for that purpose, which is what we did. And the challenge for the rest of the industry is, you know, if you've got, if you're a, a, an existing traditional firewall vendor, that's not something you really relish doing. And uh, it's since it's not something you can tack on, um, there's a, a big hurdle for a lot of the traditional security vendors to clear. Now, the second aspect of that question is, if you're, if you're an end user organization, you know, how do you get there, and 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 what does a customer do in order to to kind of make this transition? And and it's, it's certainly something that um, that does require a little bit of a sea change in how you think about policy. But there is a benefit in the sense that the security administrator or the security officers can go back to the business and say hey I know that you need to do a social networking initiative to reach out to customers and and, and deepen the relationship that that we have with them let me help you do that safely rather than saying no we're not going to do it it's too risky Um, and that that is a huge change I mean people have talked for years about oh let's treat security as an enabler Well, if your only control as a security person is allow-deny, then it's hard to be an enabler. Whereas now we're in a situation where we can say,
0: we're gonna allow
1: certain applications for certain people and certain functions, but we're gonna scan it for threats and so on and so forth. So that is incredibly liberating when you start thinking about security as an enabler and moving off that traditional kind of that Dr. No reputation that a lot of security folks have.
0: A final question for you, Chris. If you could boil it down, what advice would you give to an organization to help start them down this path to the next generation firewall?
1: I think the most important thing that you need to be able to do is understand the applications that are running on your network. I think most information security folks have some inkling of some of the things that are going on, but they don't know the depth and they don't know the breadth of of the kinds of re- applications that are on their network. So step one is figure out what's on your network. Step two is kind of, is, is, is start looking at enabling applications. So most organizations have, you know, this legacy of port-based rules. They might have hundreds to thousands of rules on their port-based firewall. And given that, again, it's a piece of critical infrastructure, you don't just flip a switch and cut everything over. You kind of migrate those rules over. But the point that I'm making is understanding which applications are running on your network and then starting to enable specifically some of the ones that have business benefit. You can kind of ease from a port-centric mentality to an application and user-centric mentality. But I think step one, find out what applications are running on your network and then start having those conversations with the business about, okay, I found that all of the accounting people are using this particular application. I don't know anything about it. Why don't you tell me? I'll help you understand the risk, you help me understand the benefit, and we can come up with a policy that makes sense.
0: Very good, Chris. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. We've been talking about the next generation firewalls. We've been talking with Chris King, Director of Product Marketing for Palo Alto Networks. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.